0: This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 18th of August 2021 at home in Wicklow. And it is primarily concerned with conflict and personal, interpersonal conflict and how our internal landscape dictates our positions in. In a conflict uh, i don't use the word territory um, in the in the episode but that's kind of what i'm talking about i mean conflicts often are about uh, disputes over territory and who should take ownership of that territory and really i suppose the focus of this episode then is that is your personal territory your internal territory and how that informs so much of what you do um and i i sort of no i don't sort of i use my my own marriage as the sort of the guinea pig (laughs) for this for this discussion um i mean i could have used one of the actual guinea pigs those key members of the production team but i didn't go there anyway it's um a bit of a deep dive into that area and I do find time to discuss the current crisis in Afghanistan and I conclude with a bit of a segue um, a bit of a segue in in the area of the second world war and the holocaust and I mention a great book that I, I recently finished that I heartily recommend so that's what's coming up I hope you enjoy it Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind, leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. How's it going today? How's everything in your neck of the woods, in your part of the traps? That's what they used to say in, in Melbourne. If, you're, if you were trying to say to someone, I'll see you around. The, uh the phrase that was used on occasion was See around the traps," which I really liked, so I took some of these Aussieisms and embraced them um another one of another one of theirs that I like is how how are you travelling and that's not asking you about the mode of transport you're using to get from point a to point b. But a beautifully existential question about how are you traveling through life at the moment? It's a really I like it because I'm very, uh, (laughs) very, very literal and um, unimaginative in how I I, how I conceive life's journey. I do see it as uh, as the journey from the cradle to the grave. And it's a (laughs) linear, it's linear and chronological the clock starts now. Wah! Wah! Tick, 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 tick. Pressure, 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 pressure. And one of the massive challenges is to not feel that pressure, to resist that pressure. And I was only talking to uh, an aunt and uncle of mine at the, at, the, at the weekend, and they were talking about how how getting older has forced them to to uh, to drop some of their long held principles on the floor and accept compromises um, prioritising comfort and ease and convenience over political and social righteousness and it's hard to blame them it's hard to blame them Isn't that the, isn't that the same equation that we all deal with on a regular basis? What can I sacrifice? What can I hold on to? What is still meaningful to me? What are the things I choose to prioritize? Where do I insist there's no wiggle room? And what informs that? What informs those decisions what allows us to choose one thing over another? How do we assert that prioritisation? And to whom do we listen? Or to whom, you know, who do we factor into our considerations before ploughing ahead with our own vision, our own rule book? our own as I use the word again our own uh, prioritization what you know who who's part of that discussion and yeah it's um it's something that's very much on my mind at the moment and I will get to that in due course but first I I just want to say something <laughs> about I shouldn't be laughing I mean I'm not laughing really that's just that's just filling time. That's a vocal tick, but Afghanistan, Afghanistan, and the speaking of the assertion of priorities, the reassertion, and the 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 rise, the rebirth, the the victory of the Taliban um, has been obviously making a lot of news headlines this week, and I have been following this carefully I, I'm following it carefully because honestly I don't want to go too deep I the Taliban to me represent something very disturbing and sinister and scary and it's not that's not a an anti-Islam or anti-Muslim statement they're their sort of fanaticism and their their bigotry their apparent misogyny and their brutality don't represent anything that i feel is progressive or balanced or tolerant and i feel i feel a real sadness and sympathy for the people of afghanistan and specifically, I suppose, the people who were in Kabul, which was, I think, the last place to, to fall or to be taken. And the Caliban were... The, the Caliban? Caliban is, is a Shakespearean monster. The Taliban were so sure of their success, so sure that they had the, the, the definitive upper hand that apparently they didn't even bother attack kabul they just stayed on the outskirts and allowed allowed their enemies to vacate um i mean that is that is a that is a show of strength is it not i'm not even going to raise my fist i'm not even going to raise my gun uh but if you choose to you can find little stories where fists have been raised and guns have been more than raised um yeah they have been discharged in any case it um yeah it just seems really sad but i mean what a what a troubled what a troubled country and what a troubled modern history with the various involvements of superpowers Uh, specifically thinking of America and Russia there going back to the the 80s I guess and CIA involvement I believe again I'm not a historian I'm not a doctor but uh, I'm not a historian and I mean these are just stitched together understandings from bits I've consumed over the years Um, and of course this most recent end of US or Axis powers' involvement in Afghanistan comes on the on the back of nine eleven, uh, the twin towers attack. Um, because of course that was when, according to you know, according to some American commentators, um, or consumers of mass media, that was when terrorism started in the world when they were attacked in New York, uh, a human tragedy. Uh, absolutely that is 20 years ago would you believe and we're about to have the 20th anniversary of the twin tower attacks the 11th of september 2001 Um, and yeah the the u.s involvement um, and the u.s deployment of armed forces in afghanistan came on the back of that the war on terror um and now that is that has to be regarded as a defeat i read some comments from veterans of different conflicts different periods of engagement in afghanistan over that 20 years soldiers who'd lost colleagues soldiers who'd lost limbs and just their feeling of um of sort of that loss of faith the feeling of despair the feeling of futility and disappointment and anger I suppose Um, I mean it's I'm not here to say you know presumably anyone on the losing side of a conflict experiences those feelings Um, however it's hard not to have sympathy for soldiers who were you know trying to do the right thing i suppose i mean again what's right but if you're talking about uh instituting some sort of political and social system whereby there was greater equality greater equality of opportunity greater access to work and education for all um afghan people but especially women uh I mean, I, I've read I read accounts this week of you know women having to kind of burn their certificates and degrees and qualifications for fear of reprisals by the Taliban, who you know they the Taliban are saying that they will allow um, you know a restore a peaceful restoration of everything, but uh, I mean, I guess that's under their very very rigid interpretation of. Um, you know Islamic dogma Uh, I don't know if that is Sharia law Uh, again I'm not informed so but it does I don't know the Taliban just represent something that just seems extremely severe and regressive Um, just the way they interpret their faith and the way they want to implement it that just seems to disadvantage a lot of people and it certainly disadvantages women and that is yeah that's something i i I don't i i I prefer that didn't exist in the world um so i don't know i i uh, it's hard to see it's hard to see uh, a rosy future there the um that anniversary the twin towers attack so 20 years ago that's coincidentally um coincidentally an approximate anniversary for my 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 wife and i we'd been seeing each other for uh, a mere few months um when the twin towers happened so you know brought together by a by a terror attack it's not true we we'd, we'd got together before then um but it does it remains a distinct memory from that early phase of our relationship the the honeymoon period as they like to call it those heady fizzy busy high <laughs> a few months you know when you first fall in love ah <mwah> lovely um but yeah i remember i remember all that kicking off and yes yes 20 years on you know, things change, <laughs> things change and this is what brings me back to what I started speaking about at the start of the episode about priorities and what you choose to keep and what you choose to let go of, what you choose to sacrifice, what principles you hold on and who is a part of that discussion or who is privy to that discussion Um. My wife and I, we are certainly very good. (laughs) We're very good in many really important ways. But we do, we we clash. We clash over the prioritization of, of, um, of what we consider most important in our relationship and in our lives. And yeah, things get very, very spiky at times and i'm i've been asking myself the question in in recent days and uh in recent weeks i suppose um it's it's not the it's not the who's right and who's wrong question because i feel we're both right in different ways and the the struggle is when you can't find room for, you know, the, uh, I, you know, I've immediately, I've I've immediately gone to second person. It kind of removes, it goes to a safer place. I'm getting away from the immediacy of my own relationship. But that's just a, a good instinct, I think. <laughs> Rather than, well, I think this and she thinks that, and this is what I think about her. That's not really what I want to get into. But I'm sort of looking at it from a you know relationship conflict point of view, and I'm acknowledging the difficulty of of forward movement when you can't reconcile your partner's your partner's priorities with your own and when they can't accommodate yours are fundamentally what's happening is you go, this is what's on my agenda, and this is what I think is the most important, and why aren't you responding the way I'd like you to respond?" And you're both singing that song and you've just got very different uh, agendas, I suppose, or the priority of the items on the, agen- on the agenda is very different. And without going into the details of what informs that prioritization, uh, I've been thinking about kind of the idea of, of narrative, and I mean, I've definitely t- touched on this idea before, but really what I'm thinking of is the story you, we tell you tell ourselves about who we are and what we're doing and where we're going. And that story, I believe is is where we live in a very everyday, palpable uh, but internal sense the the story of this is who I am this is where I've come from this is where I've got to now and this is why I think the way I do and this is why I'm making those decisions and this these are the feelings I have at this point in time and that is I I think a very powerful um concoction it's a very powerful kind of concoction of of self and i believe that 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 combination of elements becomes a very becomes the key driver in how you conduct yourself at any you know at any chosen time in your in your life and i guess what happens in relationship is that 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 those ingredients or that that those elements they change because life happens and life happens to everyone and the 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 similarity or the the simultaneity of that experience of life like how each of us experience life events how similar they are i think is dictated by, by proximity in terms of relationship, um, in terms of physical, like actual physical geographical proximity. Like we were in exactly the same space when that event happened. However, that's, um, that doesn't give us any information about the internal process. That doesn't give us any information about the internal reaction. And, I mean, again, that's probably stating something that seems very obvious. But, I mean, just imagine, you know, maybe you're at a party and, I don't know, you you end up in an argument with somebody and you feel that, you know, that was, I don't know, you, you, you come away from that party feeling incensed and fired up and very emotional and indignant. And perhaps your friend or your partner or whoever was with you observing the argument uh, has a very different view of it even though they were there and they're more concerned about your behavior than the things that were said um and they might even suggest that listen you know what you were out of line um you you know you, you you got you got triggered you got triggered and you were very combative and you could have played that differently and that was totally unnecessary and you ruined the night and i was so embarrassed um now that is a completely, I mean, you're going to say, methinks the lady doth protest too much, but that is a completely hypothetical situation. Just in case you're thinking I'm actually describing, you know, I'm describing an actual incident uh, or event that happened or has ever happened with myself and my wife. No, 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 that's not the case. Although, although, that said, <laughs> I, just had a, I just had a flash, a memory. My first trip out to Australia years ago, we were in Sydney and my sister-in-law, my wife's sister was living in Sydney at the time and we went to have dinner at a friend of my sister-in-law's house, uh, a friend of my sister-in-law's. And that person, the friend, um, <laughs> I got—I don't, I, I don't think I got annoyed with her. Like I, I, can, I, I behaved well. But I remember she was making jokes about the Irish and jokes about the ira and my wife didn't really understand why i was so annoyed (laughs) and i was i was so annoyed i was like oh my god give me patience my um my one of my golden rules is you know you you get to know someone first before you start slagging them off uh i think that's a real um (laughs) it's it's a red flag it's a it's an alarm bell for me when someone starts slagging you off or slagging off your um your nationality without knowing you i think it's a it's a it's a grave misstep i think oh man you know you're just you're not thinking at all um however she might have been nervous you know maybe she thought i had a bomb in my bag um an armalite and a, a balaclava as they say uh anyway whatever um but going back to the idea of life happens to us and we respond differently and the internal reaction and the internal impact can actually set us on very different paths and i think i think fundamentally that's the that's kind of the become the ongoing dilemma area of tension in, in, in my own marriage, um, and an area of frustration for both my wife and myself. And really, you know what it comes down to, I suppose, is I mean, I asked the question, you know, like or made a statement, you know, this idea of where you live and where I feel like we're living in different in different spaces, like internally so while we most of the time enjoy what i think is a really really good relationship and have you know great stores of natural regard and respect for each other and um and love of course the there has been a sort of a departure from the the easy expression or communication of that love and I think that, you know, events, events that happen to us and things that we experience together. But I think my wife has experienced things that have sort of rocked her confidence in in life. And that's really I mean, the way I think of it is my sort of default mode um, is that all will be well, that things will turn out well. And that we are capable and proactive and positive, thoughtful people, not unskilled, not untalented. Um, and because of those factors and because of, you know, good friendships and good relationships around us, um, I have faith that will be well, that all will be well, that life ultimately life will reward us and I that gives me a sort of a a patience um I mean (laughs) I say patience my wife might interpret that as a certain indolence or inertia or denial because her wiring has become much more attuned to I you know to a sense of, of of fear that things won't be well and and there's an absence of confidence that things will come good and so her prioritization is all about fix now address the 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 empty areas you know logistically economically career-wise they have to be addressed in a very immediate way and that's what will bring a sense of stability and a sense of control and a sense of hope and positivity to her and you know this is where we you know this is where we clash because how to achieve that security and how to achieve the pathway to um, a dependable sort of economic future and how we view the pathway to that is quite different and I still live in probably quite an idealistic slightly magical thinking area Um, but I mean this podcast is part of my attempt to create something positive that will ultimately be something that will be sustainable and commodifiable Um, and it's so it's it's one of it's only one of a a couple of things I'm doing Um, but that's Where my wiring is and it still kind of goes back to my acting background, my performance background and having faith that those skills um, and connecting with an audience, that that is going to be a viable pathway. Uh, Not solely, I mean there's other things that need to be done as well alongside it but it's certainly something that I want to put a lot of energy into to see if I can build it and make it work. So I'm doing something productive, I'm doing something that is stimulating, that is fulfilling and satisfying to me. Um, But it's a gamble, it's a gamble because that's the nature of these things. Um, There are no guarantees, it's a very competitive world out there and what I'm offering is intellectual property. Um, It's not a hard product uh, that you can buy and use however i do believe that there's a there's a value in entertainment there's a value in stimulating thought there's a value in offering uh conversations and discussions and um reflections as i do um and so i'm going to continue to lean into it but yeah it's it, it 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 gets touchy and I don't want to negate or disrespect um, or not listen to my wife, but it's challenging. It's challenging for both of us. It's challenging for each of us to hear the other's priority list. And yes, here I am, banging on about it in a public domain. How considerate of me. Um, but yeah, I suppose, that's you know that's going into something a bit specific and a bit personal but what I'm trying to kind of bring it back to again is this idea of you know where do you live and you know my wife and I know each other as you know as well as maybe anyone could know anyone else although I believe you can never truly know anyone even even my wife you can never truly know anyone I mean there's so much (laughs) there's so much else always going on underneath the surface and I mean you know for God's sake sure it's it's a challenge to even know yourself isn't it I mean that's a that can be a life's work not that you're so endlessly (laughs) endlessly fascinating oh my God it's going to take me a lifetime to get to know myself so I'm really sorry I just can't spend any more time with anybody else because I have just got to go deep it's going to be a deep, deep dive into me, myself, into the great I. So yeah, maybe um, maybe it's time for an old divorce. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not advocating that at all. But the to not be facetious about it, the that internal turbulence or that internal unease or dis-ease. That, of course, is something that can can destabilise us. It's something that can just nag at us constantly. It can feed our fears, our anxieties, our neuroses, our insecurities. It can lead us into bad decision-making, Um and it's something that can come can come to the fore with greater forcefulness and with greater impact at, at different times in our lives depending on what's going on for us. Um, so often, of course, with major crises or adverse events, um, those feelings can suddenly become quite dominant. And I think then the task is the more we can try to create a sense of ease of balance of wellness internally emotionally psychologically the better equipped we become to respond to a crisis the better equipped we become to handle a trauma um, the harder it is for us to become destabilized and you know knocked off knocked it, you know off our path or, or out of our stride um and so that question then and i i know it's getting repetitive but i'm coming back to it again where do you live what is what is that internal setting and the thing is if you can sort of accept well okay this is how i am and i know this is how i orient myself day by day in my life in in the world um that's fine but can you accept that you the way you are may not be the way anybody else is there's no guarantee that everyone's going to be in sympathy or in sync with your thing with your setting um that to me seems quite obvious um but what what do we want to do with that then how do we how do we want to how do we want to proceed with that like what 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 does it actually mean now i think it's important because this then comes down to how we socialize and how we engage with others in our lives. And it's funny, the last two podcasts, right? The last two podcasts I've listened to, or sorry, two of the last three I've listened to, because one was a movie one, which isn't particularly relevant today, although it was Taxi Driver. And I did listen to people rhapsodizing about De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> and what an amazing <laughs> what an amazing actor he was uh but then taxi driver not a romantic role so that just that backs up my theory from last week that don't ask de niro to do romance um let him play psychos and sociopaths um you know taxi driver his taxi driver driver character travis bickle you know a sociopath i, I don't think that's I, I don't, i don't think that's overstating it a little bit a little bit of a sociopath mildly socio- sociopathic is is that um is that like saying i'm a little bit pregnant can you be a little bit sociopathic would would that be something you might put on your tinder profile yeah love um love the great outdoors uh french cinema a good sense of humor um uh, detective fiction uh um, little bit sociopathic. Uh, you know how you want to swipe is up to you. Maybe not. Maybe that's not. So, that's not something you'd put out there. Anyway, that podcast. By the way, um, if you're looking for a recommendation, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. The rewatchables. I think I have actually. I think I have watched. I think I have mentioned that before. I have the rewatchables on uh, the Ringer Network. Just uh, a few guys. Um, who love movies and breaking down movies that they love uh, and rewatch. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, the other two podcasts I listen to, um, and this is this will give you an idea of where my head's at at the moment. One was an episode of Hidden Brain, a podcast called Hidden Brain, which was recommended to me by my friend Sohail, um, and that is an American podcast presented by. Shankar Vedantam what a great name Shankar Vedantam like imagine if that was the equivalent now I don't know if, if Shankar is Indian he sounds Indian but imagine if that was the James Bond character in Indian cinema the name is Vedantam Shankar Vedantam great name anyway Hidden Brain which um. Uh, I mean, I can read the spiel here from that podcast. Uh, it says Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. A really nicely produced podcast, um, American. Um, and <laughs> the one I listened to one the other day, the title of that one was When Did Marriage Become So Hard? <laughs> I can tell you when my marriage became so hard, and um, so that was one. The other, the other podcast I listened to, and that was just this morning, was uh, a, the Blind Boy podcast. Uh, Blind Boy, if you don't know him, is a, a performance artist, uh, Irish performance artist who whose character Blind Boy never appears without a plastic bag um completely covering his head and face uh, apart from the holes he needs to see and breathe through um that that plastic bag resembles a kind of mexican wrestling mask but blind boy has a fantastic uh, podcast his like his background is i guess comedy and performance and comedy songs he 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 came to great popularity where, when i was living in australia so i've only really been engaging with him in the last couple of years but his podcast is fantastic and it's typically just him, he does occasionally have guests uh, but he gets into sort of areas of Irish pop culture and history and frequently does podcasts on mental health, um, an area that he's very interested in, he studied a bit of psychology back in the day um, and he's very funny, he's very well informed, very self-deprecating and he just has a really nice take on things. and yeah his podcast is lovely really i'd heartily recommend it but in any case i listened to one of his today which uh, as he said himself was a mental health episode and that one was called blame and anger and yeah so there you go two of the two of the recent podcasts i've listened to when did marriage become so hard and blame and anger and Yeah, I think these are um, these are very worthwhile areas to explore and hear some other opinions uh, to to help with my own engagement and negotiation of some of these difficult areas that I find myself um, entrenched in with my wife, who I love very much. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be sort of furious with each other and deeply disappointed and hurt and frustrated at times and I don't think she would be any less uh, experience any of those feelings in you know any less uh, severe way than I do at times but that is the nature of a long-term committed you know battling relationship um, and the both of those podcasts i listened to were 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 useful to hear you know the the marriage one was focusing a lot on expectations what are your expectations of the person you're in a relationship with do you expect too much um does that person you know need to satisfy everything um that you want um or are you using other relationships to to help you um friendships I mean, they did. One part of the podcast did talk a little bit about seeking sexual satisfaction outside a relationship, like consensually. Um, that's not really the area that I'm concerned with, um, but I guess that's become a more popular choice, or certainly a choice that's more out there and established among um, you know among younger uh, younger people nowadays. Younger people. I, I mean, I think I'm young, but clearly i'm not the that idea of expectations i think is very relevant because of course if you have expectations of someone and they're not meeting them then what do you experience you experience frustration you experience disappointment you experience hurt you might experience a sense of rejection this was my expectation but you didn't satisfy it why didn't you satisfy it and i think it connects nicely with the the blame and anger territory that uh, blind boy was exploring um because that idea of handing over your power and handing over sort of agency um and handing it's almost like you're handing the the conductor role to someone else in your life uh, giving them you know if you're the marionette you're handing them the puppet strings and they make you dance or you're going I trust you completely to you know respect my my needs and desires and wishes and hopes and dreams and keep me on the trajectory that I want for myself and for us um, and when you don't I'm going to be so bloom and angry with you I'm just going to be so disgusted and full of resentment I mean resentment that's the big one that's the danger that's the dangerous one I feel when you let that resentment bucket fill up and you're just carrying it around with you everywhere no good no good you've got to tip that sucker out Um, and at the moment uh, I've I've got a toilet we've got two two toilets in hashtag blessed and one of them's not working very well you have to kind of do some fancy black magic with the uh, with the flusher with the handle it's like you know one two three four fast ones and then a then a hard sustained one on the handle i'm talking about pushing it i'm not talking about anything else and that will get that cistern to empty so i don't know if i'd tip my resentment bucket down the loo at the moment um it might not accommodate that um of course that suggests my resentment bucket is overflowing it's not it's not i try to work on this i try to be mindful of the need to let it go My favorite letting it go gesture is a huge, demonstrative, puffed out breath to the ceiling, throwing my hands up in the air. Let it go. Let it go. Shake it off. Shake it off. It actually works a little, you know, it works. Sometimes those silly, superficial, physical gestures or actions, they can be very beneficial. No messing. Um but yeah, the, the blame and anger one is you know, you're you're focusing your anger and you're focusing causality that is saying that that person has caused me to feel this way. And for many of us that can be someone from early in our life, it could be a family member, a parent, and that can transfer over your life into, you know, blaming other people for your unhappiness your you know it, it's because of you that i feel this way and that can be an abdication of of personal responsibility which I, i'm very wary of um there's no i don't think there's anything wrong you can you can certainly look at someone look at a person and go well you did this and this is how it made me feel and i don't think that was good um and i and i am judging you for that Uh, But then do you keep wielding that sword of anger and stay in that place of hurt, stay in that place of destabilization, that place of discombobulation, where really you're just, I don't know, it's a very odd place to stay. And I think in myself, what I've learned over the years is I'm certainly capable of anger. There's no doubt. Um, And, you know, people... I guess I can often get very angry with people i I, I care about if I feel I've been treated badly um, and I can I have expressed that anger not always in the most constructive ways but what I've learned about myself over the years is I can't stay in an angry place and I think that's good I don't I don't value remaining in an angry place because it's too upsetting it's too agitating it's too distressing and i believe it's simply unhealthy because that angry mode it you know what does it bring it brings sort of elevated heart rate it's bringing i guess certain kind of brain chemicals into play it's leaving you i don't know if it's leaving you in the kind of the 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 fight state um, feeling embattled feeling aggressed feeling aggrieved that that state does not permit rest it does not permit stillness it does not permit um, relaxation it does not permit progress in other directions in a healthy way and I yeah I, I, I'm greatly relieved when I can When I recognize that the anger has passed, and I think subconsciously, I try to leave my anger in a place where I can reflect on it and allow it to cool down fundamentally. Um, And I try to be careful (laughs) when I find myself angry. I mean, like for example, you know, know, my wife, when I find we're getting kind of hot under the collar and angry with each other, I really caution myself and I, I kind of lose my ability to be articulate if I'm very emotional. And I I really go, I need to be careful here because I really don't want to say things that I, I'll regret. And I my desire is never to, you know, particularly with my wife, my desire is never to hurt her or express my anger in a way that could be vindictive or spiteful or nasty or destructive and the thing is like anger can push you into those places um especially when you feel you know you're being hurt or you're being unheard or unseen and that brings me back now nicely to this idea of where do you live and what's your internal setting because i i can see in my life i recognize from when i was a younger adult um you know there are times when I was angry, when I was hurt, when I felt neglected or misunderstood, or unappreciated. And what I realize, you know, what I realized over time is, that's fine, that's not, that's not invalid. That's not invalid. But I can't presume that everyone I care about has this amazing insight into my priorities I can't assume that everyone's looking inside my head or looking inside my heart or whatever the precious place is inside me where I go this is what's important to me I can't presume that people have that facility or that level of interest (laughs) or that level of care um It's very interesting actually. One of my oldest friends came down last week. Uh, I hadn't seen him for uh, about a year. He spent some of his time in Ireland, some of his time in Switzerland. And yeah, he came down. We had a long night just kind of chatting, talking about whatever, sitting up late, talking about our personal lives, our individual journeys, our relationships. And it was really interesting because at, at one point in the in the evening and i remember we were both i was, was kind of tired but he was asking me very specific questions about my experience of depression and my experience of suicidal ideation and it was kind of overwhelming for both of us because <laughs> it was clearly he was he was basically just reaching out and saying, um, I care about you and I love you as, you know, an old friend. And yeah, we both got quite emotional because it was just such a a direct exchange and instead of staying in that very safe place of the, the sort of the the kind of distanced personal, I suppose is how I'd describe it. Um he just got straight to the heart of something, and yeah, it was really lovely. Actually, I, I was I was deeply, deeply moved, uh, and touched, and we very quickly moved on because it was so unbearably lovely. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, <laughs> real emotion. Um, yeah. Now hold on, have I just I've just I've probably just derailed my entire train of thought because I'm I'm reliving. I'm reliving that moment of uh, that that very touching, significant moment for my friend. Um, But yeah, what I was saying was, you know, you can't presume that someone can see inside you and that they can know exactly what you're feeling or exactly what your priorities are. And when I look back at my kind of early adulthood and i don't know maybe even well into my 30s gosh you know just this idea of you know i was hurt or i was upset or i took something very personally in a negative way i have to look at myself and go "Well, hold on how much information did the the transgressor the person who offended me or hurt me how much information did they have how much information did they have about how I was feeling or what I was going to be sensitive to and if I if, you know if, if I have to if I if I can acknowledge that well actually they didn't have that information then that changes it, ch- it changes the nature of the memory it changes the nature of how I think about it it changes the nature of how I perceive the the slight or the or the wound and what it tells me about myself then is maybe my expectations are unrealistic that oh you should have known that that was important to me um because then you wouldn't have done that or you wouldn't have said that or you wouldn't have behaved in that way and then i wouldn't have been so hurt or whatever and i think that that is a very useful area to to explore it's a very useful area to get comfortable with and to embrace the fear i suppose of openness and i said and you know with that thought i think it speaks back to two episodes two episodes ago when i was speaking about being present but you know because the idea of being present might involve being more honest or more open And being open, of course, to me, it suggests vulnerability. And so sometimes when I'm thinking of difficult spells that I'm experiencing with my wife, you know, in a relationship, um, I think, you know, does she have all the information? Like, have I given her all the information so she knows where I'm at? So she knows, you know, what way my gyroscope is spinning? Uh, or am I just making assumptions um, that, well, she should know this because we've been together for so long, or she should feel this way, or she should view it that way, or how can she not know because, I mean, that's a that's a slippery slope. Because I'm making assumptions that my wife is dedicating a lot of time to understanding me and analysing me and being incredibly like sympathetic and empathetic and sort of considerate of me when maybe that isn't appropriate when maybe she has to prioritize herself when she has to prioritize her career when she has to prioritize our daughter when she has to prioritize other things and you know as i say that out loud i go yeah that makes sense that feels absolutely fine but that area of expectation you know and that area of expectation and how that can get embroiled in the areas of hurt or you know crossed lines you know misconstruals um get get gets kind of you know enmeshed in all kinds of muddiness and that can that can spill into the resentment bucket and then there's kind of resentment in the mix and then when there's resentment in the mix that can bring with it a, a hypersensitivity and hypersensitivity you know this isn't this isn't some hollywood movie where hypersensitivity you know is some sort of superhero power and you know you can save the world with your hypersensitivity usually on a an interpersonal level hypersensitivity can lead to disproportionate responses can lead to disproportionate a disproportionate sense of being victimized or yeah maltreated and then that makes me think resilience again resilience maybe it's overused in any discussion around mental health around wellness around positive psychology but resilience to me suggests a a certain amount of toughness um a willingness to look at yourself uh, with a certain amount of objectivity which is never that easy um, and of course, what I'm, you know, what I've been talking about really throughout this episode is the subjective nature of experience, and the subjective nature of your narrative. And let's be really clear: there is not only one single narrative for you or for me. You have your own narrative about yourself, but there'll be many other narratives depending on how the other people in your life experience you how they perceive you what your what your history with those people is all of those things are going to dictate a different narrative and in some of those narratives you could be great (laughs) you could be a real lovely guy a real beautiful girl a great woman whatever Uh, but in other narratives you might not be so uh well thought of and ask yourself can you control that can you control what other people think can you control how they feel about you that that probably to me seems like a very adolescent way of thinking all you can really do is you know behave in a certain way i mean are you behaving to get a desired effect are you behaving just to you know achieve something that you want to achieve for yourself and you're not concerned about how it looks um you know there there are there are different lenses at play but you know one that one that comes to 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 mind is you know what are you trying you know what are you trying to achieve and you know, are you, are you concerned with outward perception? Um, you know, who, who are you trying to impress? Who, from whom do you seek approval? And when I think of that question, you know, from whom do I seek approval? That's a very small number of people that come into that kind of, that, that very intimate sphere I mean, I do care about my wife's approval. I care about my daughter's approval. And... (laughs) Is that it? My production team, the guinea pigs. Um, The new kitten, Ruby. Ruby. Oh, Ruby, you're so beautiful. You're so cute. Why do you keep us awake at night, skittering around the house at 2,000 miles an hour, running into doors and running up curtains and jumping on the bed uh marlon of course 19 year old marlon somewhat um somewhat disgruntled at the moment by the appearance of this ridiculously cute tabby cat and the chickens the chickens god love the chickens they've been ah you're waiting for me to say they've been killed they haven't no we've moved their hen house into a coop yes they're all cooped up in their in their little zone, very happily, out of danger, because they kept flying away. At hashtag blessed, my um, my cousin's dog would give them a scare, and two of them can fly quite high. Anyway, I don't do I seek do I seek the approval of my pets? I, I kind of do, I kind of do. You want your you want your animals, your animal folk, to feel safe around you. You just get that little uh, that little buzz from your your animals and when they're regarding you as a safe a safe human but um to bring it back to the human world that approval i don't know i mean and of course ultimately what it comes back to is you know do you approve of yourself you know in a in a in a thoughtful balanced way that's important to me might not be important to you but i like to think i'm looking at myself honestly and i'm open to criticism i'm open to being challenged i'm open to the idea of being wrong and i'm open to the idea of being stubborn um that doesn't mean i'm going to change a single thing but i'm happy to have the conversation um which i think it's a start isn't it it's a start um yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure if there's any additional point to be made here um, but I do find myself very interested in this idea of that internal that internal landscape that internal barometer the internal lens um, yeah and that question where do you live. Where are you because i can't i can't identify that in another person um it takes work to identify it in myself but i think if if that's something that you can identify i think it actually unlocks a lot of stuff i think it unlocks a lot of you know if there are areas of your life that don't make sense to you or if there are areas of your life that bring you into conflict with others, um I think really understanding yourself and understanding your own wiring can unlock the whys, um, you know, the the, the because' of, of, of that wiring of whatever your current template is. And You know, I I think I seem to find myself forever living in the kind of emotional and psychological realm. That seems to be where my default setting is. Um, And it's kind of an obsession with with wellness, a certain holistic approach to my own personal strength, which which I believe then makes me better in all other areas of my life Um, it's not about excluding other people it's about me being in a better state to you know with which to meet other people um, or in which to meet other people and yeah I don't think that's a I don't think it's a bad thing Um, hmm. I don't know I mean what does it come back to I mean any of these decisions this comes back to what I said at the start of the episode like what do you choose to prioritise and I definitely prioritise my mental and physical health there's no question about that I do that because it helps me it helps me cope it helps me cope with everything else and it helps me keep my head straight it helps me remain i want to say it helps me remain resilient it 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 stokes the fires of my resilience it keeps the coals of my resilience lit um yeah they don't go out they're not reduced to ash which reminds me this morning i was in the garden doing um my sort of tai chi breathing exercises um Sequence of exercises known as Ba Duan Jin, and it's it's uh, you know we're we're just over halfway through August. We've had a mixed month weather speaking, uh, speaking of you know weather-wise, quite a lot of rain, some colder nights, then a little bit of sunshine again. So you know don't be under any you know misapprehension. There's uh, you know it's it's very much late summer, early autumn um you know green everywhere but this morning on the grass at my feet there was a little leaf and that leaf was was black and almost ashy looking which i guess was the the mold of decomposition um and this is a very morbid note (laughs) With which to conclude, Uh, but for some reason I was looking at that. I was just looking at the leaf, and it just seemed so incongruous. And yeah, I mean, oh my god! I mean, I'm, I'm hesitating to even say what came into my head. But for some reason, for some reason, it. I was just looking at it, going like, "What is this? Like, what? What's the significance of this little blackened?" dead or dying leaf amongst everything else that's green like where does it come from Um, it would have fallen out of the plum tree in our garden we have a we have a plum tree that's half alive and half dead so it's basically in the shape of a a sickle or a crescent Um, this sort of curve running anti-clockwise from six o'clock curving all the way up to 12 o'clock if you can imagine it that way so standing back from distance, it's just this lovely sort of half circle almost. Um, but it's got a lot, of, a lot of dead branches on the other side of it. Um, but it's in full leaf. There have been a few plums. So I, I think this leaf, this dead leaf came off the plum tree. And I don't know why, but my imagination very quickly went to World War II and the, the Holocaust and the concentration camps, and the, the 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 ashes from the you know, I guess the gas chambers or the furnaces at the concentration camps. I know it's isn't. I mean, what, what can I tell you? I don't know. It's not like I, I don't have any particular obsession with that period of history. Although that said, I did just recently read the most brilliant book called "The Boys in the Boat" by Daniel James. Brown. I think I've got that name right the boys in the boat is definitely the title that book is about eight years old and it tells the story of a rowing crew from Washington State uh, an eight-man rowing crew who went to the Olympics representing the USA and won gold that was the 1936 Berlin Olympics which uh, Hitler and Goebbels and Lenny Riefenstahl used to present a vision of the Third Reich to the world and to propagandize the Third Reich and Hitler's vision of Germany as an Aryan super state. Um, so I only finished reading that book last week um i since uh loaned it to my friend who um that was the friend who came down we had the big chats last week and he used to do he used to row competitively himself um but what a fantastic book oh my goodness really really good it's history but it's presented as like narrative and we focus on the one of the main characters in the boat we follow his journey from childhood to to the very end actually and it's it's just a terrific terrific read it's it's a hero journey fundamentally um and it focuses on these very hard-working decent young men who were coming up in depression era america uh, many of whom were extremely deprived and all they had was their their bodies and their guts and their mental and emotional fortitude um but the author does an incredible job of weaving you know of weaving you know throughout the story the sort of the philosophy of of rowing and of eight man rowing and the the sort of symbiotic relationship between the rowers the coxswain the the water and the boat which they call the shell and they were blessed, Washington State were blessed with a master boat builder, this Englishman who'd come up um in sort of um the lower classes I suppose in England and had serviced the rowers, the rowing club at Eton, uh, one of the big posh um private schools in England. But the the story is absolutely wonderful really really brilliant uh, highly highly recommend the book I'm, I'm amazed it hasn't been made into a movie but um, check it out if you like sport, if you like history if you like a hero journey with a very attractive central character, all humility and frailty and guts and determination um, Joe Rantz R-A-N-T-Z is his name um, uh, a beautiful story, I was in bits at the end of it tears flowing down my face It was so moving anyway there you go fantastic but maybe because of that book and revisiting um germany pre-war germany maybe subconsciously i went on that journey in my head um oh you know the journey of the holocaust and the um yeah the the atrocities of the nazi regime um yeah and yeah I, I i think i was trying to i was mulling over i was mulling over sort of a, trying to make a little poem about that leaf and i was thinking about i started thinking about spielberg and schindler's list schindler's list and saving private ryan which i think both world war Two movies of course but again like spielberg oh gosh that for you know two amazingly powerful movies for different reasons but he still can't resist the sentimentality He can't resist sort of mixing something else in I mean Schindler's List is probably most for me you know there's that beautiful black and white uh, photography I think he had a Polish cinematographer working on that um, memorable for the amazing black and white photography memorable for both Liam Neeson's performance trying to walk that line of profiteer but also he ended up being this kind of liberator of um, you know the, the Jewish internees, um, and a fantastic performance by Rafe Fines, of course, as the yes sociopathic, fully not just a little, fully sociopathic um, German officer. Um, brilliant, but then Spielberg did that thing where he he had a little female character going through. I don't know if it was Warsaw, like the the raising of Warsaw you know when when the when the nazis took warsaw but she had a little she had a red coat and the is in black and white but he colored her coat red so we see her on her little journey and then she's she's like a, a red coated corpse on a pile of corpses later i mean i don't know did we need it was it necessary i don't think that age is well critically um anyway whatever anyway look there you go Um, I'm not sure if I have if I have a concluding point I think my if there is a conclusion it's to I mean I, I counsel myself to to be thoughtful to be thoughtful about the important people in my life to to think or to give value to their internal their internal setting their template their internal lens what's going on for them I don't know what it is but just to acknowledge that I can't know what it is unless I ask or unless they share and the same goes for me if I'm angry or aggrieved because I'm not being misunderstood I have to ask myself well what have I put out there what have I actually you know what have I given you know the people I care about? so that they might know better my situation or what's important to me and listen that's a choice for god's sake i'm not advocating you share everything quite the contrary you know you you but you, you choose you choose what to share and you know with whom to share it and that's that's just good judgment isn't it and that's um, that's a nice prioritization of who you choose to hold close I think that's a very special thing I think that's a very enriching thing um yeah so maybe that's a that's a nice note on which to leave it and I know who I'm going to hold close my lovely kitten <laughs> ruby come on puss ruby and I'll tell ruby my deepest darkest thoughts all my fuzzy feelings and she will just look at me and think where's the cat food ginger okay listen look after yourselves take care thank you so much for listening um i'll be back real soon okay mind yourselves all the best bye